0: Hey parents, grandparents, and uh, anyone else who happens to be listening to our podcast today. We're glad to have you with us for the Wonder of Parenting podcast. This is episode number 70, and once again, we are going to be taking on some of our listeners' questions. My name is Tim Wright, along with Dr. Michael Gurian. Michael, welcome to the show today.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much.
0: It's always good to be with you folks, and uh, we so much appreciate your willingness to send in our questions. They're always such good ones, and they get to some nuances that we uh, can get to uh, in these questions that maybe we don't when we do general topics. And we've got two really interesting questions today. Uh, The first one I've sort of tongue-in-cheek called the three-year-old wrecking ball, and uh, you'll understand why that is as I read the question today. Uh, This comes from uh, one of our listeners, Lisa, and uh, here's what she writes. Hello, Tim and Michael. Uh, As a mom of two young boys, I find this podcast fascinating and helpful. I'm writing to submit a question about my youngest son who will be four in December. So happy birthday. Hmm. This boy craves physical impact. He is constantly crashing his toys together or into things, knocking things over, and using his body roughly with himself and with others. He will randomly headbutt your leg or whack you as he runs by. It is usually playful, but he does also throw things and looks to cause a mess when he's upset. We have tried the following tactics to help harness this energy. It's a good word. Redirect his energy to something appropriate like the trampoline or tumbling in his bedroom, giving appropriate objects to knock over like a stack of cardboard boxes, playing physical games together like hide and seek, or doing silly animal walks. Sometimes I cannot stop what I'm doing to play or redirect uh, easily, like when making dinner. So I'm looking for more ideas for how I can handle this behavior and how I can help him learn to regulate himself. He seems to be very impulsive with his aggression. And I wonder if it is something we should start to see improved by this age or by the time he is four Thank you very much. So that's a. there's some really good stuff in here um, to tackle today, so to speak, mm-hmm. uh, with this young boy who um, uh, I'm guessing in, in some ways is uh, that's boy energy, but also maybe some things that these parents might want to think about and talk about. So, Michael, as you read through this question, what are some first impressions you had?
1: Yeah, well, I, I think kind of what you're thinking, you know, he's he. Just for folks who don't know, um, like this boy energy, there's a science behind it. It's it's boys do tend to be more physically impulsive, more gross motor. They do tend to be more um, to use their bodies as object moving moving through space because some parts of the, the right side of their brains actually de- are developing quicker, uh, which is a spatial part of the brain. Their cerebellum, this boy's cerebellum is clearly very active. Um, at a baseline boy's cerebellum the doing center of the brain tends to be more active in more tasks than than f- in girls brains and the female brain um and this guy that's upticked right for this guy very active cerebellum so a lot going on here that would be normal what the parents uh what, uh, what the parents are doing sound great all of the things they're doing sound great one thing i can say is that that to some extent he will grow out of this, this physicality will get directed, and that's going to be in the realm of what what I'm going to say next in answer to her question, which is, okay, I've got to make dinner. I can't be redirecting him. What do we do? So what what I would love to see us do with him is get him directed toward physical tasks. So direct this energy into sports, maybe martial arts at four, probably a little young but could be, uh, but some form of sports, a lot of running around and exercise in safe places, so outdoors if the weather's okay or in a part of the house where he can do that and it's safe and it's not it's not family areas where he can break things. it's his own area, you know, his own boy area. Um, uh, get him involved now in taking this energy into tasks. That would be probably the thing I could add because everything they are doing is is good, right? um that's all yep. really good but at 4 he can now start applying this into games and tasks
0: so so she knows for example when she's going to start making dinner and that's a good point for her to give him an assignment of some yep. sort and say please accomplish this by dinner time
1: yeah go out and play if that's safe in their place or go out and play with your your friend maybe for an hour there's a friend who's nearby the boy could go out and play with that friend or go to the friend's house um uh yeah or or is there is there is someone else around who could do sports with him throw the ball with him um if the boy is going to be completely alone while she's doing that task then yeah then give him a job and um it's probably going to be physical so like maybe give him a a safe rake let's say uh that's a little late now we're into winter but but you know maybe give him a, a safe snow shovel And depending on where they live and uh, just have him chip away at that sidewalk, you know, he won't accomplish much, but, but it'll be physical and he'll be doing something because, because, you know, he's getting to the age where he can take that physicality and direct it toward the good for good something for the family you know rather than just use it to wreck things and his wrecking things by the way is still normal that's is not bad he's not going to become a bad person because he likes to knock things over um that's just how, how he's built uh uh but at the same time if she can't be with him then let's start teaching that kind of character education that kind of hey you got to do things for our family and you got to pitch in for our family and so for him i think it's going to be
0: physical chores and what we didn't read in this one as we have read maybe in some other ones recently is it doesn't seem to be that he is using his energy to hurt people intentionally he's just got a lot of rough and tumble boy energy
1: yeah yeah absolutely i there was nothing in here nothing in here about him um trying to hurt people and and if he hurts someone well, I mean, she did talk about the physical. He crashes into someone. So that could hurt the shin or it could hurt someone. Right. But it's that's not his intention. and right. And he will have to learn. Uh, one thing that will come, he's four, it'll, it'll start coming, but the parents will also be teaching this, and so will his community, like other kids, are going to start teaching him the better boundaries, you know, because uh, we never want to forget that kids train other kids. And if he does stuff other kids where he's constantly knocking them down and they don't like it. Gradually, he's going to be socially isolated and he's going to learn. Okay, I, I, I have to have better boundaries. You know, I, I have to have a little better executive control of my body. And so so he'll learn it experientially and he'll learn it from his parents and, and everyone. They will teach him that there are consequences and that people are in pain and that that hurts and that, you know, don't do that. So that part, I think they're going to teach him. Um, uh, but his, but he's not trying to hurt anyone.
0: No. Uh, one of the words that she used here. So it, it was evident to me that, that, uh, she's been listening for a while and I thought it'd be good to just cover this again. Cause I don't think we can hear this enough. Um, she said he seems to be very impulsive with his aggression. So talk about boy aggression versus boy violence
1: yeah and it's so great you use the word aggression because that is what he's doing so aggression is where one one organism one person one one um, parent child human being aggresses against challenges uh uh and later when there's you know manipulates or even tries to control the other person um uh not in a domineering way but assertive assertively that's that's aggression and that's actually really normal and really healthy. Um, it's really healthy for everyone, girls, boys, everyone, to learn uh, how to be aggressive. Uh, but aggression is not violence. And aggression is, of course, something that you are not all the time. You're not aggressive 24 hours a day, right? You, you've learned how to do it for when it's needed. And um, and violence is where I'm trying to destroy. So an organism tries to destroy another organism. A person is trying to destroy physically, physically, to kill that's obviously violence or to destroy the core self like cyberbullying is violence because you're trying to destroy the core self of of the person you consider weak that you're bullying and and bullying itself real bullying is a form of violence it has crossed the line between aggression and like a fight could be aggression two two guys fighting I, i'm going to give an example i just saw a movie that i highly recommend called ford versus ferrari Ford, let's see, Ford versus Ferrari, and it was about the 60s and the battle between the Ford Motor Company and Ferrari to do racing, right? Okay, so there are these two guys in it who are friends, and they, they, they just can't figure out their conflict except to get in a fight with each other um, on the lawn in front of one of their wives who brings out a lounge chair you know <laughs> and she just sits there with her magazine watching them now these guys are like brothers and every brother brother is going to know this that you sometimes you get in these fights with each other well even that kind of fighting is I would put under the category of aggression because about five minutes later, they're joking and they're having a beer together and they've, they've figured out how to resolve their conflict. I would even put that under the category of aggression, not violence, even though one of them did grab the other by the neck and they knocked each other over and were rolling around on the grass. But it's still aggression because it's not trying to destroy the core self of another Violence is trying to destroy the other. And so I think she's very wise to say this is aggressive. And aggression still needs boundaries. And, and, and aggression still needs to be dialed back when it's not appropriate. So all of that is true about aggression. And this kid will learn that. Uh, but, no, but no, he doesn't appear to be
0: violent. He's not trying to destroy. So you, you also, uh, I've heard you speak now enough, you talk about a thing called aggression nurturance. So how does that fit into? Yeah. for example, what this family's going through.
1: Yeah, uh, all human beings use what I call aggression nurturance, which is where you're nurturing through aggression, and it's distinguished to uh, from empathy nurturance, um, where which which has more. A direct empathy where you, you're you nurturing by empathizing with the other person's feelings and then you help the other person verbalize or elicit out what they're feeling so that they can process their feelings. And you're so empathic, you can see they have these feelings. And in this moment, your empathy wins out over everything else and you, you just say, yes, what are you feeling? How can I help you? It sounds like you're feeling bad. You're feeling sad. Okay, that's more direct empathy. Aggression nurturance is, I'm not, I'm, i don't know that i care a lot about what you're feeling right now uh the example would be someone skins their knee but they're playing they're playing a game they're playing soccer or they're playing football or whatever it is what's much more important than their skin knee is for them to to have a sense of belonging and for them to fulfill the mission of this game and so so you might find someone on their team saying i'm not worried about your skin knee and i don't need you to stop and tell me that you you're feeling hurt what I need you to do is go man that offensive line you know or I, I need you to get back in the game and so that's nurturing through aggression that's that's aggressive because the, the system itself is aggressive soccer football all of those sports are aggressive so what you're basically saying is the aggression is going to do the nurturing for you just get back in the game and it's also uh, you know obviously not not directly empathic it's um uh, you're pushing challenging aggressively this person who just skinned their knee to buck up and get back out there and do it and both of these are needed in human life you know we need to ha- we need our kids to uh be a, a nurtured aggressively through nur- aggressive aggression nurturance and we need them to have empathy nurturance and um i am not one of those people who, who thinks well you know you, you should you, you should stop everything at every moment to see what someone is feeling, you know? Um, no, there's a lot of situations where what you're feeling in that moment, it's it's a passing thing. It's going to pass. What's more important is your mission, your purpose, you know, your community, what you're doing for your community. That would, of course, be more on the aggression-nurturance side, and I think that's fine. I think that our our culture, to some extent, has over overemphasized um, the purity of of empathy nurturance and tried to get everybody at all times to always be trying to help other people figure out what they felt and or what they're feeling at a given moment and in the abstract that seems like a good idea that well wouldn't it be great if everyone could always tell us how they feel and that i mean in the abstract it's a good idea but there are a lot of situations in life I would say a million situations in my life that I've faced where me stopping to tell someone what I am feeling wasn't really functional and it wasn't really needed. So I think we find a middle ground between aggression nurturance and empathy nurturance and we make sure kids get both, um, but we don't like overplay one or the other. And we certainly don't want to overplay aggression nurturance and never teach kids empathy nurturance, right? right? I mean, we we don't want to do that either. We got to be in the middle ground.
0: So one, one final point on this question, which is really a really good one. Uh, Lisa doesn't mention, uh, at least to my memory, uh, a dad or grandpa in the frame here. But what role might a dad play or a man play in, in helping to harness this young boy's energy? I'm thinking about dad wrestling with him, for example.
1: Yeah, um, if, if there isn't a dad in this picture, I, I kind of feel like since she, I think there is a dad in this picture because generally they would, she would say there isn't a dad in the picture. So I think there is. Um, uh, So I'll say two things. One is if there is a dad, which I think there is, we want to, we want to, as mom, I think we want to be talking to dad and and maybe they already had this conversation where, you know, where mom says to dad, Hey, you got to, you, you got to, like like you say, your beautiful praise, pour some masculine energy into this boy. Yeah. And so, in other words, it's, Dad, you got to help this kid have some boundaries. And and you're a guy, and in some ways, he's going to respect you in teaching him that because he unconsciously at four, you know, unconsciously does understand that you understand that about him, his physicality. And now, Dad, you have to help him with that. I think that's a good division of labor. I think that's okay. Um and it and it helps it helps dad bond and so he will he'll be wrestling with the boy he'll be and then when the boy does something that hurts him he'll be going ow don't do that right and then yep. th- that actually teaches the boy boundaries so all of that is good if there isn't a dad in the picture then I think it is helpful for mom to find grandpa uncles other men and, and coaches or getting him into martial arts you know that kind of thing so that he gets male influence um, because this is a guy who's going to need male influence. He's so physical and aggressive. Yep. He is going to need more than mom. You know, she's, it's normal. She'd be kind of overwhelmed with this and she wasn't brought up in this and her body doesn't do this. Like when she was four, it does not sound like she was like this at <laughs> yeah. four. So, right. so let's get men involved. And I'm glad you brought that up.
0: And who knows? He could end up being a multimillionaire with the uh, world wrestling federation someday.
1: <laughs> John Cena or one of those yep. guys. Yeah.
0: Yep. Uh, We're going to move on to the next question. Before I do, uh, just a special shout out, as always, to our good friends at A Place of Hope, uh, and it's called The the Center up there in the Seattle area. Greg Jantz and his staff are such great people, great resources to help you navigate through some of life's tough stuff. Uh, You can find them on wonderofparenting.com. There's a link to their website and encourage you to at least go look uh, at their stuff just as a way of saying thanks to them uh, for sponsoring this uh, podcast. It enables us to bring it to you free every week, and we're so grateful for the good work they do and for their support. And a reminder that uh, Michael and I will be in Minneapolis February 29th. That is Leap Day. Uh, And uh, we want to be uh, with you if you're in that area or driving distance for Helping Boys Thrive Summit. And that's helpingboysthrive.org backslash Minneapolis. Helpingboysthrive.org backslash Minneapolis. Uh, Another good question here. um, And uh, I I think this maybe came off of our website, but here's where, or, or off of our Facebook page. But here's the question I'm so happy I fell across your podcast. It is full of great advice and skills. Where were you when I started this parenting journey 40 years ago, LOL? And uh, I asked the same question. You know, where was Dr. Michael Green in my life when I was raising kids? Um, This is my struggle. This started when my grandson was in pre-Head Start, our wonderful staff member, and I caught on to something my grandson was doing. Say you told him to pick up the orange circle. Mind you, he knows what orange is and what a circle is. The movement is minuscule. His eyes would flick to the item, then a look of humor would come across his face he would pick up a blue triangle when we would say really he would laugh put it down immediately pick up the orange circle he did this numerous times like he thought it was a big joke fast forward to preschool the teacher pulls me aside concerned because my grandson doesn't know his colors shapes or whatever they were working on big sigh had a long chat with him about doing what the teacher asked him to do. Next day, he walked into school, informed the teacher he was going to answer correctly the first time, and of course, aced everything. She was flabbergasted. Mind you, I have seen flashes of this behavior in our family with my stepson, his kids, etc. He did the same things in kindergarten and in first grade. When I told the teachers to watch for this, they rolled their eyes. After all, I was one of those grandparents, adoring my adoring my child as a genius, you know, the one, one of those people. Honestly, I'm not. I'm pretty pragmatic, but I do see that he has that he does this thing that he thinks is funny. By the way, he talks constantly and has to move all the time. Drove his first-grade teacher up a wall. Sadly, she would make him sit away from the rest of the class, etc. From what I understand, his second-grade teacher understands this little boy that he needs to move. He's much better. Anyhow, I digress. How do I help him moving forward to understand that being funny is not always—I'm going to say not always—acceptable? Um, this is a great question, and we had a similar one in our staff meeting the other day. One of our uh, parents, his son, uh, kept insisting he was in fourth grade and would laugh about it. Everybody knew he was in third grade. He kept lining up with the fourth graders, just thought it was a big, funny joke, um, but he knew he was in third grade. So there. W- what do you see in this story?
1: Yeah. Oh yes, um, uh, you know I'm harkening back to my own boyhood. Um, just kind of this is this is a strong personality. This is a kid with this personality, and and he's routing. A, uh, I mean, I, I I think baseline is he's got a strong personality, right? He's not he's not really worried about being liked. He's not really worried about. He already has a pretty strong core self, and and um, and he's utilizing humor. It's entertaining him. The humor entertains him in situations that he probably finds sort of boring. He probably finds school somewhat boring. And um, for whatever reasons, we'd have to figure out what those are. Uh, And this entertains him, keeps himself entertained. And then he is reaching out to others with the humor, right? He is trying to sort of bond with others and he's hierarchy building. He's trying to put himself as an alpha. Uh, A lot of people who... Are are uh, often kids who are funny are breaking into different groups. Some are trying trying to be alphas by being funny, and some are um, they really really are shy or they feel uh, like betas. They feel like they don't belong or they don't have any power. And the humor is a way to get power in the social group. I I interpret this guy as being more sort of being an alpha or trying to be an alpha and using humor for that. Um, and especially because he's clearly smart and understands all of this stuff right she was the teacher was flabbergasted thought he was i guess in her mind dumb but in fact he already knew it all and was very smart i think the environment might be somewhat boring for him and and then if he has to sit i think Uh for his body and his brain um you know he's going to try to basically self-administer shock shock therapy to himself by by trying to keep himself awake try to keep himself engaged and he's using humor for that um, and really they shouldn't be sitting that much in, in that uh, age group um, they, everything should be doing kinesthetically as much as possible except when they're reading uh, and even then they can move around to read so, so I think all those factors are at play in terms of what's going to happen with him in the future you know he's probably going to be quite successful because his humor is going to Um, is gonna prevail and people like funny people you know so he'll probably if he really is funny he probably will be successful but the reason I laughed about myself is that I was a bit of a hellion you know when I was growing up and and it isn't easy for the parents and grandparents because and it may not get easy for a while because you the child is smart you they want the child to fit into this school environment but the child's personality you know, is so smart and kind of bored by the school environment. So the kid sort of acts out a bit with humor. And then the school environment may not have received training in male brain or boy energy or how to teach boys or any of that. And so then that's, that's doubling down on the problem because they're not really creating an environment that's a full match for his brain. So he'll act out against that. And so this may be, be an issue, you know, that they're constantly going to have to grapple with, and they may be meeting with teachers and with principals on and off. What I would love to see them do is I would love to see them get into that school environment, form a team of other parents, grandparents, go to the school and say, hey, you know, can you alter the way you teach so that the kids are moving around more? Like, luckily, the secondary teacher does understand, so that they're moving around more and so that there's a better fit for their brain, the way they're learning, these males. Um, and then they're going to have to keep giving this kid the signal that okay, we know why you're doing it, and and to what extent is it functional? And here's how we don't think it's functional. So helping him to understand that he's doing it to be an alpha, or or you know they know him better than I do. Why ever whatever he, is the reason he's doing it? You're doing it because you want to be an alpha or you're doing it because you want to belong or you're doing it because you're defiant against the teacher or whatever it is whatever is his motivation helping him understand that motivation may help him to pull back some and get a little more executive control over this this behavior um, and so they can hit it from both angles
0: I know that uh, we have a number of educators who are listening to our podcast, uh, and uh, many of them have been through a a Green Institute or they've been a part of the Helping Boys Thrive Summits that we've been doing. And uh, a good resource for teachers, for educators, is a book that Michael wrote along with Kathy Stevens called Boys and Girls Learn Differently. And uh, they've got some follow-up books with that as well that I I think speaks well for teachers who are – trying to understand movement, not just for boys, but girls as well. And uh, that seems to be a part of the issue for this family is that there's, as you mentioned, the teachers may have not been trained in uh, how boys learn, how girls learn from a a brain science perspective. And so resources like that can be helpful for uh, teachers and can be helpful for parents if they just want to buy a copy for their teachers. But it is always that delicate dance, isn't it? Because I, I know one of the things that teachers are increasingly frustrated with right now is uh, it, it used to be when the student was in trouble, the teacher and the parents worked together to help the student. Now if the student's in trouble, it's the parents and the student taking on the teacher. Right. And teachers are just feel handcuffed. And then you've got a well-meaning grandparent like this one coming in, and immediately you feel the teacher's rolling their eyes because they say, here they come. Uh, and uh, there are some really well-meaning teachers and well-meaning parents who want what's best for the students, and, uh, and you've, you've already mentioned one good strategy, and that's to get others together. Um, when you're approaching a teacher, wh- what, uh, what do you recommend uh, you know, that you say and how you say it? Uh, because you don't want to get off on the right foot. You, you really care about the student. You know the teacher does, but it's understandable these days that some teachers can be a little bit defensive
1: well yeah and that's why we're we're teacher supportive you know we're everyone supportive I and mean, we we want everyone to be supportive of everyone because everyone's in a system and if if there's something going on uh, i always look at the system first and not the person right i think that i think that, and that we all should do that i mean as parents um i mean i certainly did that when I a couple things that went on with my kids in school and you know Gil and i would go in and talk to the teachers but we were always generous like you know Thank you for what you're doing. This is great. You know, we want to we want to be positive with the teachers because they're doing they're really working so hard. Um, and then it's and and then I think we want to also show that we buy in to trying to get our child to alter the behavior that is causing problems. Mm, like good. we don't want to go in saying, "Okay, you're a really good person. I like you, teacher." but <laughs> yep. you know but yes. guess what it's all your fault i mean that's that's not good because because that child is doing something that is not fitting in that classroom right and we have to be able to say to the teacher we're going to own that we're going to really work on that and here's what we think is going on and this these alternatives exist and then this is where this is where we're going to know that we're as parents are on the right here in terms of requesting some systemic change we're going to know because it's not just going to be our child so there's a classroom of 25 if it is only our child our son in this case who is causing troubles and everyone else in the class is learning great well then you know it's our child (laughs) we we have to say it's not a systemic problem there's a problem in our child and and let's deal with that But in a situation like this, uh, like with the teacher that didn't let kids move around, in that situation, we're going to be able to identify three or four or five other parents whose children are getting in trouble, mainly boys, who are getting in trouble for certain sorts of behavior. And each of them may be getting in trouble for a different behavior, but when we put all those behaviors together, we're going to see that, okay, there's something wrong in the system. It doesn't understand male brain and male energy because... All these kids are acting out when they're having to sit still for 20 to 30 minutes to do an irrelevant lesson or, you know, whatever it is. We're going to be able to see that. And then we can say, okay, now it's systemic. We need to, the teachers need training in how male brain learns and how it learns differently from female. And then this is where teachers, where parents could could gift give boys and girls learn differently or saving our sons or if there's girls having issue minds of girls, you know, these are all books of mine that are used by parents and teachers to sort of look at their systems. Um, so I like approaching it as a systems issue yes, rather than an individual. And I really like us as parents making sure to take responsibility for child behavior that we can, that we can help with.
0: Yes, good. That is such great advice because I, I know how tricky it can be. Uh, you know, approaching a teacher, especially these days, when when teachers get so much stuff, uh, and and we want to be kind to our teachers because they're they're doing the best that they can do within some really interesting structures. You got twenty, thirty kids in a classroom. Um, There's a lot of different needs. And and yet at the same time, you know, my son, my daughter, my grandson, my granddaughter counts in that class. And uh, so to find the best way to work together uh, is always the best for our kids. And and Michael has such good resources on that. We encourage you to go to wonderofparenting.com wonderofparenting.com, and you'll find resources there, uh, all of Michael's books. Uh, you'll find a link to our good friends, Place of Hope, the center up uh, in the Seattle area, and also a place to submit your questions. If you've got a question for us, please send us a question, and, uh, and or go over to our Facebook page and join that, and you can uh, post some of your questions there. Uh, Michael, as always, thank you. Thank you, Tim. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll be back with you again next week.